Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. I want to welcome everybody tonight. If you are new, visiting with us online, um, if you don't know me, I am Pastor Daniel. I get to oversee Sunday nights, among a few other things, and I'm excited to get to share with you guys today. God has some amazing things, and tonight, I'm trying to get my notes to brighten up, but they don't want to listen. Okay, we get to talk about disarming the devil's deadly darts. Um, So if you actually look it up, when the Bible talks about his deadly darts, that dart is a dart, an arrow, a missile— Um, it is a long-range projectile that causes destruction. And so I brought one of mine. Um, This is is an arrow from my my quiver that may need to get replaced because it hooked a vein on a rib when it went through the last year. But but these are deadly. And I am thinking of going, so in Ephesians, it tells us Um, to take up the shield of faith by which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The Bible tells us that we have an enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and that he's launching these at us. And I thought, well, if there's a way for us to disarm these, a way for us to make sure that these don't wreak havoc in our life, I want to know. Like, if I can tell you that you could reduce the number of arrows that the enemy shoots at you and at your family by 75%, would you be interested? And so there's, as I begin to look, I begin to realize that there is a way for us to reduce the number of arrows that are shot, and there's a way for us to extinguish, to put out, and to block the remaining arrows that are still shot. And I was like, okay, this is, this is super important, but how? Like, how do, how do I stop it? How do I put it out? What's the difference between blocking it and putting it out? And I, I just, I, I found it interesting that he said that we're going to, ex- that the shield of faith will extinguish the fiery dart. So I, I started diving into this, and I think at the base level, to make it anywhere, we have to understand the devil's number one weapon. Because the Bible tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he said that we would not be outwitted by Satan for not, we're not ignorant of his designs. So what is Satan's like number one weapon? And I, I got thinking about this and I'm like, there's a lot of things that you're like, is it politics? Because that seems to mess things up. Does it like, you, you can go through this and you can, you can go through and you can come up with all sorts of different ideas. But I believe John chapter eight, verse 44 Jesus says this about Satan. The devil, he says, he's a liar and the father of lies. I believe that Satan's number one weapon is lies and deceit. And it can be really easy when we we first hear that to to say, you know what? I don't think his lies affect me that much. And, And I... But, but you have to understand this. Smart people with the wrong information do stupid things. 
The smarter that you are doesn't help if you have the wrong information. I remember in school as a kid, I was really good at math as long as they kept the alphabet out of math. I was like, all right, give me numbers and I am gold. And they got into like long multiplication and I'm like multiplying. Now you, you get to add multiplying and adding into this as a kid. I'm like, this is great. Except I had one issue. I was not very good at handwriting. And so once you get this massive problem and you've got all these numbers that you're scribbling everywhere, I would get some wrong. Like, Why did I get it wrong? I know my multiplication tables. I'm good at addition. And you look through and you're like, oh, because my handwriting was bad. And somewhere down there, I wrote a four that was so sloppy. I thought it was supposed to close and turned it into a nine. And turned out that I, I did great multiplication and I did great addition, but I, my handwriting wasn't good enough. So I did it with the wrong numbers. So I got the wrong answer. And we go, okay, that's, that's fine. That's silly with your, with your math. But how does, that, how does that affect my life? And I have several examples here because <clears throat> this is really easy to understand philosophically and not to apply. But we could all agree that if you thought that chocolate chip cookies were the perfect health food, it would affect your life. We would all be a larger, we'd be a larger congregation <laughs> if we believed that chocolate chip cookies were the perfect health food. Because this would affect my actions. If I, if I thought that was so good for me, I would show less restraint with chocolate chip cookies. I love cookies. But, um, side note, but it, it's this thing where we go through and go, okay, yes, if I make this, if I have this belief, it will affect my choices. May 16, 2005, I held an erroneous belief. See, somehow I had fallen for one of Satan's lies that all the rules didn't necessarily need to apply to me, that, that the rules only applied if I agreed and understood. I went rock climbing, and they had a rule that says you can only climb eight feet high unless you have a belayer and you're roped in. But I looked at that and said, you know, that's a rule that has a purpose to protect me. Two mats will protect me just fine. Two mats equal one friend. And so I pulled up the mats, piled them up, and I'm like, I got mats like this thick. I can fall from the ceiling. I can fall 25 feet. I'm going to be fine. And I climbed. Now, the Bible tells me to honor the authorities, and so biblically, my next steps of actions were wrong, but I believed the lie that I had circumvented the rule, and I climbed anyways. Well, I got about second hole from the top, so about 20, 25 feet up, and I slipped. But no worries, I got two mats. But as I turn, as I'm falling, I realize that the mats start here and go that way. The route had hooked and then hooked back over too far. And so one foot hit the mats and one foot hit the floor. There was a cracking sound, 16 screws and two metal plates later, I have a foot that functions. Um, but... The lie produced an action in my life. It was a reasonable action, but it was based on a lie, so the outcome was a mess. And this, is, this was true with my foot, but this is true 
in people's marriages. I remember sitting down with a couple here and he looked at me and he goes, I don't know that our marriage is worth fighting for. He's like, it sucked. So why would I fight for it? And he believed the lie, or he came in with the lie, the enemy had told him that what it was was all that it could be and that it wasn't worth it and that he might as well give up. And I went around and around with him and said, all right, let's, let's, let's look at what God's word says. And, and, and he came to the conclusion that his marriage stunk, but that God said he wasn't supposed to get divorced, so he had some work to do. And I met with them a couple of times and prayed with them, and God did something that was phenomenal. And I got a card a while later from them that was just two big smileys and a gift card to a restaurant. Because the truth changed their actions. But so often, these lies come in and we fall for them. And it may be that your marriage isn't worth it. It may be that you just married the wrong one. It may be that you're a failure and that you'll never amount to anything. Because if you don't believe that your actions will produce any reward, you won't put in the effort. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be like, most of us go to work and if they stop paying us, we'd stop going. Right? That's what, like, the Americans are all like, we're going to retire and we're going to have this great time. But they're going to work because they're getting paid. If you believe that your actions won't produce, you'll stop putting in the effort. If you've fallen for Satan's lie that says, this is what you are and it's all you're ever going to be, then why would you put in the effort? Why would you fight for your marriage? Why would you fight for your health? Why would you fight to be free if you believe that your fighting is in vain? And Satan tells so many lies. Lies about our identity. Lies that you don't have what it takes. Lies that you'll never change. Lies that you're just dumb. These all have an effect on people. They come in so many forms about you, about God, about his word, about right and wrong, about temptation. Compromise that says, you know what? And like even from the beginning, when Satan tempted Eve, he gets there in the, in the garden and he's like, oh, you're not really gonna die. It's not really a big deal. It's gonna be okay. He's still stabbing people with that lie. He's going through going, hey, you know what? A little won't hurt. You know, just a little bit more. It's not gonna make that much of a difference. And he'll do that for a little while, and then he'll say, oh, well, look how far you've come. Now it doesn't matter at all. You might as well. And he, he fires these darts in compromise. He fires these darts and, and tries to go, well, well look, look where culture's going, and now everybody's doing it, so it must be okay. And he starts firing these, trying to reshape what you view as right and wrong, reshape what we view as normal. And it goes over and over as Satan fires these darts. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, which we already read, it says, Take up the shield of faith, by which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So, uh, after reading some of Rick Renner's stuff, I looked up this word, and it looks like pyro. These 
And, and so Rick goes on, he goes, it's a very specific and historical word. There was three types of arrows. They had regular arrows, something like this one. They had regular arrows with a flaming tip. And then they had, I think what we would equate it to, they would, there was another arrow that they would take a reed type deal and they would fill it with a combustible liquid. Tip it and shoot it. And it would look like a normal flaming arrow, but when it would hit, it would often explode or it would begin to let out all of this flammable liquid where it would continue to burn and create damage. It wasn't just an initial impact, it just continued and would, would cause great, great harm. And, and I begin to look and realize that a lie doesn't just hurt when it hits. It can continue for decades to burn. And, and I begin to look going, well, well, he said that we can ex- extinguish these arrows. And so I begin to look and go, okay, so what's, what's the first thing? And I actually want to say, before we look at the ones that we can extinguish, let's stop many of them from being shot. I go, how do I keep him from shooting it? And and there's actually something that we can do. Um, Because sadly, I think some of the leading archers in Satan's army we find in the mirror. I think that so many Christians are taken out by friendly fire. I was, I was looking at this. Uh, I was going to try to pronounce the name of this place. El Ergiris. Okay, there's a bay in, um, over in Spain. There was a battle there in 1801. And it was, in the tale of this battle, there was like two sections of this battle but there was two large Spanish ships, 112 guns apiece. And the British ship, Superb, in the, the low light in this evening, sailed between them and fired. Now, the Superb was a smaller ship, 74 guns. So between these other two ships, they have got triple the firing power. But Superb sails in between them, shoots the, the Rio Carlos, um, and carries on, the real Carlos begins to shoot back, shoots clear across the superb, nails the other ship that's on its own team, and then they, in the dark, don't realize that they are now fully engaged in war with themselves. And they commenced shooting each other, and then at the end, the one's like, I've got them, and like went to ram them and take them down, lit the one on fire, ended up burning up both ships, on 1,700 people were killed by their own team. And I I read that and thought, what a tragedy. I don't know enough about the war to know who you'd be cheering for, but I'm like, what a tragedy to take out your own team. In fact, you took out your own team when both of the people that you took out outgunned the one who attacked you. But I think that this is a very common tactic today for the enemy. He runs by in your marriage. He runs by in your family and goes, poke. And you turn around and you're like, who poked me? 
and you're stabbing whoever happens to be there, which just happens to be your wife, your husband, your children, your coworkers, your neighbors. And we begin to, we begin to fire on his behalf. And you go, well, what, is, what do you mean? I, how do I fire a fiery dart? I have never seen a fiery arrow fly in my house. That's probably a good thing. But what does it look like when our words, when the devil's lies come out of our mouth? What's it look like to when I make a mistake and I do something that I shouldn't have done and my response is, I'm so dumb. Satan didn't even need to fire. I just did it for him. What's it look like when your spouse falls short and the words that come out of your mouth are negative, degrading, cursing? What about our children? What about the people we work with? We live in a society where shooting the devil's darts for him is common practice. Where we walk around insulting ourselves, we walk around trying to insult everybody and everything around us to try to feel better about ourselves thinking that if I shoot everybody else enough, maybe I'll be the last one standing. Maybe people won't notice my flaws if I'm too busy pointing out theirs. But in the end, that leaves us sinking our own ships. But it, it happens so common that we're, that we're stabbing, that we're shooting. As I was, as I was writing this, I was, I was pondering... And I was pondering how long this can burn. My, my father, he, he shared a story with me. When he was a boy. Um, so first off, my father is very smart. If you don't know my father, he is ridiculously smart. And um, most of you don't know that he's got his doctorates. You, you've never been into his office to see the, library, the, the bookshelves that just cover the wall that he's read every book on it and they double stacked it and then they have like three other spots that they're storing books because he reads constantly. He is ridiculously smart. But as a boy, he went to help his father in the garage. I think his father was working on a vehicle, working on something, laying underneath it, asked for a tool, sent my dad to go get it. Dad went to go grab it, didn't know what the tool was, grabbed the wrong tool. Ran over to his dad, happy to help his father, handed him the tool, and his dad looked at it. This is a, and he, you know, describes whatever tool it was that he grabbed. I asked for a this, you dumb. And he insulted him and said that he was dumb. My father is not mechanically inclined. I don't believe that's because he's literally not mechanically inclined. I believe it's because he got shot. And he believed it. It's not that he couldn't learn. The amount of books that he's read, the amount of things that he's read, learned, but he believed 
a lie about his identity. And it began to burn. It affected so much of his life. And he talked about different spots where he began to get fr- got free from some different lies that stuck in his life. And as I was pondering this, I realized just how grateful I am. Because most people who've been shot respond by shooting anyone else they can. It's like, I'm not sure. I just know that I'm hurting and there you are. So they just, they're just like on rapid fire. But as I begin to look, I go, you know what? My father, I don't, I can't remember my father ever cursing my future. I remember not knowing what I was doing. And my dad told me, that's all right. You can do it. You can figure it out. I remember my dad speaking life into me on things that mattered and things that didn't. He spoke to me about the call that was on my life. He spoke to me about what God could do. He spoke to me about being a pastor. He spoke to me about preaching. It's not that he had ever told me that I did anything wrong because half the time when I get done speaking, he's like, well, let me tell you what you could have done. He's like, well, this... You, you, you did, you talked too fast here, or you did this. I'm like, all right, great. I can, I can learn and I can improve. But, but he spoke to me and he spoke confidence into me. And he said, even about things that were stupid. It's like, you can back up a trailer. You are a great trailer backer upper. I'm like, no, that's not the biggest thing in the world. But I got confidence. And by the time I was 16, I'd back up his trailers into spots where they had an inch or two of space on each side for him. Because, why? Because he believed in me. Because he spoke life. And I, I began to look at this, and I, I recognized some of this the other day in my own house. One of my children was demonstrating behavior that they needed to grow out of. And, and in the frustration that occurred in our house, there was a you are comment that was used. And I heard that comment and something lit inside of me. It was like God just opened my eyes to go, there was just an arrow fired in your house. Someone just spoke to the identity of your child. Someone said that they are something that I didn't make them to be. And I looked and I just stopped everything. And I looked at my child and said, that's not who you are. That's not what you are. You are a child of God. You are loved. You are. And I just begin to speak what God says about him over him. Because I recognized that there was an arrow that had been fired. And that that line needed to be uprooted. That that arrow needed to be extinguished before it destroyed someone's future. Before it shaped someone's identity. But I look and I think in so many of our homes. See, Proverbs says that, that there's one who, that rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. It says that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Proverbs 18, 21. What am I shooting? Am I building those up around me or am I firing the enemy's darts for him?
And, and just beginning to recognize In um, 1869, the book, The Crown of Life, was written. And, and the author wrote this. He said, If a lie is only printed often enough, it becomes a quasi-truth. And if such a truth is repeated often enough, it becomes an article of belief, a dogma, and men will die for it. A quasi-truth. Seemingly, apparently, but not really. <clears throat> From that comes the big lie by Hitler or um, his propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels. If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. He convinced a nation to try to extinguish another nation from the earth. There's a lot of lies. How many times have we heard, how many times have we repeated the lie that says that you're ugly, that says that you're not good enough, that says that you'll never be? And if we let that lie sit, it keeps burning do you realize that some of us faced a real problem that's been removed for over a decade and still burning you? Been through trauma, been through hurt, that's gone. But we picked up a lie and it's still burning. It's still hurting still robbing. It's still limiting. We still say, I can't. You don't know what I've been through. If you knew what I've done, then you wouldn't love me. I don't know if you've heard of how they keep elephants or how they used to keep elephants from running off. See, an elephant is known for pushing down trees when they so are, feel so inclined. But they put a stake in the ground that's not that big and tie an elephant to it, and it stays put. Why? Well, because when the elephant was little, they tied it to a stake, and it pulled and it pulled and it pulled and it pulled, and it couldn't pull up the stake. And a lie set in that said, you can never pull up the stake. So don't bother trying. There's a lot of people who went through something and at one point in time, they couldn't pull up the stake. But this, this lie came in that says, that's all you'll ever be. You'll never change. You'll never be healthy. And I've talked to people who look and go, it's hopeless. Why would I try? I've been battling this battle for so long. But if they're believing a lie, it's still affecting them. And I've watched them throw in the towel and you're like, 
you have the ability to walk in freedom. And they're going, no, no, I, I, I can't. I've got these problems. I have this anxiety, this worry, this, this health issue, this weight, this, this, that. How do I pull this out? How do I put this out? And the answer is actually really simple. See, <clears throat> faith and fear both hinge on a promise. See, Hebrews 11, chapter 1, says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. See, faith... Faith is the belief in the promise that allows you to take action. In a simple, natural faith, how many of you guys have already ordered something off of Amazon? How many of you waited till it showed up to pay? Someone's like, technically speaking, I hadn't paid my credit card statement. Does that count? You had faith that they would deliver, so you paid before the promised item arrived. Your confident belief in the promised allowed you to take action to see it come to pass. And we can do that with God's word. We can do that with the enemy's word. We can do that with fear. But when I get into God's promises, and I begin to recognize the truth, the promises begin to lose their power over me. You can call me a lot of things, but if I, if I know who I am, your words begin to lose their power to rob me. When I get into God's word, it begins to change things. So many people have been speaking curses over their own life because they think that if they speak it, it won't hurt as bad as if somebody else does. I remember going to the Granville Middle School years ago and I was working with one of our students and he was, he was overweight. But he's, I'm sitting, watching him at the table with his friends and he made a joke about him being the marshmallow man. And I'd had conversations with him before and I knew that his weight was something that bothered him. But yet he was the one making the joke. And I had a conversation. I said, well, if I say it, then they don't have to. If I say it first, maybe it'll hurt less. If you shoot you, it still hurts. In fact, if you shoot you, it hurts the worst. See, if I shoot you, figuratively, with my words, it goes before your filter. And you go, do I believe him? If you shoot you're already past the filter and it goes straight to your heart. 
And so often we're making these comments, stabbing ourselves so that somebody else doesn't. And we're walking around feeling insecure, broken, and bleeding because we shot the arrows for the enemy. As we disarm the devil's deadly darts, my challenge is to you is that you don't fire them. Don't fire them at yourself. Don't fire them at your spouse. Don't let them be heard in your house. Get in a habit of speaking life and you go, well, what about all these arrows that are stuck in me already? And, and I challenge you to let this extinguish them. Get into this and go, what does God say? Some years ago, um, our oldest son was maybe four, three, four years old. It was not time-stamped memory, so bear with me here. My son was little, okay? And in my house, we love peanut butter. We go through lots of peanut butter, lots and lots. And uh, we were having peanut butter on pancakes or peanut butter on French toast, peanut butter on something because peanut butter goes with almost everything. And we uh, did it. And all of a sudden, his face started turning red and swelling up, um, known as hives, um, which is an allergic reaction. And so we stopped giving him peanut butter. And we started to pray, well, that's, that is not God's desire for him. And we look in our Bible and we look at these things and these effects that were not part of creation in the beginning. And we go, these were the curse. These were some of the things that came with sin. And, and so we begin to, to speak to my son. I said, you know what? In Galatians chapter three, it says that you're redeemed from the curse of the law. That it has no hold on you anymore because Jesus paid the price for you. And, and he was, he had, maybe he was only three, two or three, because his English was, his vocabulary was pretty small and his voice was really cute. But we're going through this and for a couple of weeks, this was just over and over. Who, you are redeemed. Jesus redeemed you. The curse has no hold on you. And then after a few weeks, we're sitting down to eat and I think we're going to do pancakes. And he goes, I want peanut butter on my pancake. And I looked over at him. I said, who's been redeemed? He just looks back at me. He goes, I've been redeemed. <laughs> it was just the cutest little thing. I'm like, bring it on then. And slapped some peanut butter on it. And he ate it with no ill effect. And he started eating peanut butter. And a week or so later, he got like two little red dots. And I just looked at him. He goes, that's trespassing. Who's been redeemed? He's like, I've been redeemed. And he has not had another issue in the last like six, seven, how many years it's been. But there was a lie of the enemy. Had to be uprooted. We begin to speak the truth of God's word. So tonight, I want to speak some truth over you and with you. So go ahead um, and we, we do this five days a week with seven at seven. If you're like, hey, I want to do more of this um, Monday through Friday, we're on Facebook, YouTube, um, and our website, 7 a.m. You can hit a replay later on YouTube or Facebook if you want. 
But we end each little seven-minute devotional with a confession. This is one of them. So go ahead and repeat this with me. Say, I cast my cares on God. Because he cares for me. I choose prayer instead of fear. I bring my requests with thanksgiving. And God fills me with his peace. I don't have a spirit of fear. But of power, love, and a sound mind. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. I am more than a conqueror through him. God is my healer and redeemer. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I resist the devil and he flees from me. My prayers are powerful and effective. I stand in prayer to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. I fix my eyes on Jesus and live to carry out his mission on the earth. That is so powerful. If you can get those words in you. When we started doing the seven at sevens, I wrote a new set of confessions for each day. And my dad told you he speaks life, but he'll help educate me. He looked and he goes, you're doing extra work and it's not even helpful. Well, that's kind of not what I wanted to hear. A lot of work, but how do I do less work? He goes, because the power of the confession is getting it inside them. And if you always change it, it won't get inside. So we've narrowed it down to like five sets of confessions that we rotate through. Because I recognize if you get these in you, not if you repeat them one time, but if these get in you until these fill your heart, then sickness tries to come and you go, no, no, I've been redeemed. You go, someone else is sick and you go, oh, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. Let me pray for you. And it begins to begin to shape you. It begins to disarm these. It begins to drop these all around you. Satan fires and says, you're not good enough. And you go, oh, well, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you. I've been forgiven. He goes, God could never love you. You go, well, I already am loved. I've already been forgiven. Thank you very much. And it changes things when we get these inside us. But as we go through this, there's some here who may not know my Jesus. Maybe there's been a few of these that have been holding you back. Maybe it was somebody who was supposed to love Jesus who shot them at you. Jesus loves you. He wants to forgive you and he wants to set you free. And if you want to respond, if you want to know him, if you want to receive his forgiveness, if you want to know that you're right with him and on your way to heaven, I want to give you an opportunity now. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? If you say, today I want to make Jesus my Lord. I want to receive his forgiveness and know that I'm right with him. Then when I say three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you're online, you can just type in, that's me. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise up your hand. Say, that's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Awesome. See your hand. Who else says, that's me? Another one in the back. 
Who else says that's me? Awesome. All right. The Bible says that whoever calls on his name will be saved. So we're going to do what he said. So go ahead and join me as we pray this. Say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I repent of my sins. I believe that you died and rose again. That your blood paid the price for me. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.